Hey, everybody. This really is the first and the last time I'm going to do the intro. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so we're on uh, episode seven of the podcast. Um, today we're going to be talking about... Effective leadership. Effective leadership. Uh, kind of based off of positive psychology. So uh, I guess we could jump right into it. Yeah, for sure. With uh, <clears throat> the basis of um, effective leadership uh, comes down to servant leadership, which uh, when I first heard that term, it was kind of off-putting, right? Because you almost think of it as like submissive uh, or not assertive, but really like the, the, the gist behind servant leadership is being assertive and holding your people accountable and providing the best environment possible, like using every little bit of power that you have or any authority that you've been given to create an environment for them to grow. Okay. So before, so before we dive too deep into it, just so when you first heard it, was it, when you were Test. studying for captain's sure, test? Sure, Studying and, for captains. And then um, just so everyone knows, uh, you graduated in December. You finished up your master's in what? Uh, it's a master's of education, counseling, psychology, with an emphasis in positive coaching and athletic leadership. Okay. And then when, when you started that program, was the servant leadership something that you chose to dive into, or did it rear its head again? It it, it reared its head throughout the whole thing. So, okay. I mean, like it's kind of the basis. Servant leadership is the basis for positive coaching and athletic leadership because it, and we're, we're going to dive into like the model of it and how it works, but uh, it really is about growth and development of followers. And then your job as a leader now is their development and well-being. So okay. it translates very well to emergency services, tactical athletes. I mean, like it, 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 it really bridges, um, that gap from like athletic coaching to frontline supervision for emergency services. Okay. And then hopefully we cover the, what, how detrimental it is if servant leadership is lacking. Sure. Yeah. Cause and if it's substituted with a different type of leadership, it, that may be different. It may have a different effect to different industries, but as far as us and our type of uh, shift work, team environment, it, it could have a detrimental effect effect of any of the other types of leadership that could that you could put forward. Yeah, and, and there was actually like a, I don't want to say like a whole semester, but one of most of one of my classes that I did take talked about how servant leadership, especially. Uh, should be at the basis of all leadership and the fact that like we have authoritarians out there that are still running like an authoritarian is my word is the word that goes and they use their power coercively to um, get their wills and wants you know pushed through mm -hmm. like that's not that's not why you take a leadership role in any capacity right yeah. you're you're and, and obviously there's, there's different degrees. Like people are going to have to make unpopular decisions and that's not, not a part of social or servant leadership. Mm -hmm. Like pushing forward unpopular ideas is a, is a huge part of any leadership role. It's, it's, it's about how you use uh, the tools that have been given to you 
to affect the people around you. Because if the people around you are high performers and happy, you're going to have a very easy job. Even if you're delivering an unpopular message, even if you have a hard assignment, if the people around you are internally motivated and they are good at what they do and they have ownership in it, in that they feel like their decision-making capacity is intact, you're, all you're going to have to do is kind of steer the ship. They're going to they're gonna paddle and row to victory. So cool. uh, my, the, the main professor for the whole program that I had at the University of Missouri was Dr. Greg Sullivan. And he wrote a book. And if, you, if you're interested in leadership, the book was called uh, like Servant Leadership in Sport or something. We'll put it on the, we'll put it on the, uh, in the description. But it's, it, it's a textbook, but it reads a little easier than a normal textbook does. But uh, it breaks down... It was really like a comprehensive overview of the entire class that I had. I had a couple of classes that were like super hard. I'm sure you did too, right? You oh, had yeah. some classes that the, the classes that were hard for me were the ones that like changed my life, right? And his his class was my capstone, and it uh, it was like a punch in the face, right? You're like, whoa, like yeah. that that just makes sense, right? And it starts with this this model right here. We're gonna post this on the. We'll put this on. You'll do your computer magic and yeah. put it on the screen the or whatever. Watch. The wow, wizardry. There it is. <laughs> um, but this is uh, like the servant leadership model, right? And uh, that's it. We can go home. Everything's done. You guys got it? It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this like uh, this feedback loop, uh, it'll make sense here in a second, but it starts with um, that PERMA right there is actually a Seligman's well-being theory, and that is how human beings flourish, right? So the P stands for positive emotions. Um, these are related to like life satisfaction, resiliency, physical health. Um, engagement is being highly engrossed, absorbed, focused on an activity, and, a flow, and being in a flow state. A flow state is, you probably remember this from sport, when a uh, it seems like time slows down and you're just, you're just balling, right? Like, and you get that sometimes when on like a crazy EMS call, like when you're, everything's flowing well and it like stops and you're like making decisions and the patient's turning the right way or you're, you know, on a fire and you make a call to, or you're on a roof and you cut a hole and you get that report from interior that it's cleared up and the crews that were kind of getting beat down by heat, like just, and it just slows down enough to where you're able to effectively make change, right? Yeah. That's a flow state. So that that engagement <clears throat> where you have individuals constantly engaged, which means they're training, they they stay up to par on their skills. And then to me, it's where the flow state comes from when preparation meets opportunity. 100%. That's a, and, and obviously, like, I think... I think most of us are pretty engaged with the actual work, right? Like yeah. not many people are like, Oh, I gotta go fight a fire yeah. or, Oh, I got a, we got a GSW we're going to, right? Like mm -hmm. most people are like, let's do it. Right. Like this is, this is why I've spent 10,000 hours training, right. Yeah. Is for this moment. So I think most of us are pretty engaged at work. Uh, the next one is R is for relationships and more importantly, positive relationships in that. And, uh, quality relationships are key to a lifetime of well-being, right? They they found like the the answer to longevity is 
and they most of the centurions who they've interviewed have fantastic relationships well into their 90s and hundreds right where most people uh tend to decline is uh you know they don't have family or friends and they get stuck in a home and then they're just a burden on the system you know what i mean like that mental decline starts to set in and then that goes back to like when we were talking to Corey about um having positive things, having positive things to focus on, like actually affects your neural pathways. And once you don't, when you run out of family and friends, like that's a, that's a hard, uh, declination that starts in the process of aging. Oh yeah. I mean, we see it when, when we run calls and some, somebody has been married for 32, 33 years and their significant other just passed and they last three months, six yeah. months. And I thought you were going to say when they've been married 32 years and they just hate that person. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, I mean, literally people die when their significant other goes oh, and yeah. it's like their sense of purpose is, yeah. is gone. Yeah. And you're like, how is that possible that your really? body just goes, all right, there's no reason for us to be here anymore. Done. So if we, we all recognize that and we see that, why would we, even if we are younger or, you know, first three, four years in the fire service, 10 years in the, why wouldn't we want or recognize the importance of relationships? Right there. And, and, and when you think about it, uh, having children sets you up for usually built in relationships when you're older, right. And your friends start to die or move away. You know what I mean? Like you always have your kids, you yeah. know, unless you have a very strained and hard relationship with them. But for the most part, you're, you're building in lineage and then your, your kids will have kids and you'll have grandchildren. You know what I mean? So yeah. that, that's the that's the course of like life, you know, with yeah. relationships and anyway. Moving on, you have meaning and uh, belonging and serving something that is bigger than yourself, right? We all have to have a purpose, right? And finding, I mean, again, for us, it's pretty easy. I mean, we are uh, we really are living on the backs of the people who came before us, right? The reason people invite us into their homes indiscriminately, just come on in is because of the the reputation that firefighters have laid before us, right? Like even even somebody in Miami to somebody in Seattle, like the public sees us in a certain light and it's because of the efforts of the people who came before us, but it's easy to find meaning in what we do. It's pretty pretty selfless for the most part. Yeah. And where I can see that being a challenge for higher positions and people that promote and take on is there's there's two issues that can help combat that of when we talk about a uh, belief in something bigger than yourself is that we are so rank chain of command heavy that structure kind of weighs on us where you're not how am I supposed to deliver uh, have a positive relationship with the chief and have that relationship when I'm not really supposed to be speaking to him you know what I mean? If it's, that's hard. It's a hard thing of like, oh, like chiefs here, like button it up. Not like, hey, like chief, how are you? And that's whether that be in the station, like why is the chief here? Yeah. And so to develop that relationship, even if it's your battalion chief, your assistant chiefs, it's, it's hard because they're not the opposition and it must, and it has to be hard on their end. And, and you, you can probably attest to there are some chiefs that are really easy to talk to. Yes. Right. There are some chiefs that, uh, that stay engaged with you, right? Uh, they no. might just might just go jog around the parking lot with you and talk to you. In right? in class B's. In class B's, just <laughs> like, hey, let's go. What do you have to talk about? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, 
There's some, uh, there's some, in that, I think that comes down to that person is easy to talk to anyway. And right? I appreciate when they acknowledge it and they, they can tell right out the gate, like, Hey, you're, you're Nick. I'm so-and-so like we're talking, like throw that. They can feel it. They can right. sense it. Like cut that out. We're going to have a conversation man to man. And we're not going to, don't be holding, we're mincing your words. Like, tell me how you feel. Yeah. And I appreciate that because now I'm building a relationship with you as a person. For sure. And, and then, like I said, that's, that person obviously understands what they were looking for in a, in a leader. Because like, I, I don't want to have to put on a different face when I talk to a supervisor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't. So. <laughs> no. <Nuh-uh. laughs> uh but the final, the final piece of that PERMA is accomplishment, and that is a pursuit of winning, achievement, uh, mastering for its own sake, ability to find fulfillment in the process, not the outcome, right? So uh, far too often in our society especially, we look at uh, accomplishment as um, uh, kind of a victory. Like, did you, did you make the most profit? Did you, did you finish number one, right? When you don't have control over that as much as the only thing you have control over is how you got to the game, right? Like you could have the ref call, the ref make a back call or and like in sports, the ref can make a back call or it could be raining. Like a hundred things could happen. And even if you did everything right, you'd still lose a game, right? What we don't emphasize enough is, is that proc is that process, right? Did you, did you practice enough? Were you more prepared, right? Did you do better than you could have done than you did a week ago, right? And I've heard you mention this uh, with your kids where good, bad, or indifferent soccer game, you've said, hey, like you do, I forget how you worded it, you stay away from like good job scoring the goal yeah. or whatever. You you word it more in, I, I, I liked your effort out there. Yeah, right? I, that I always end up with... Uh, how do you feel you did, right? And usually, even when they lose, they say, I feel like I played good. And you're like, that's awesome, right? You can't, I'm like, and and then I said, you have fun, right? Because if they say no, then we have to have a discussion of why didn't you have fun? Because, uh, I and it, my, my kids are just like we were growing up, like they hate losing, right? Which I don't, I don't care about. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to emphasize it as their parent, like, I'm going to emphasize like, Hey, you know, like, uh, if they say they didn't play well, it's like, well, you know, you, you stayed up late last night. You try to connect the dots, kind of connect the dots for them to be like, Hey, you didn't you know, like if winning's it, winning's usually an easy recipe. You've got to out practice. You've got to out train. You've got to out eat. You've got to out sleep. You've got to out everything your opponent. And if one of those things doesn't happen, then it's a flip of the coin. Right. And you have to have everything go your way. You have to have every ref, make a, and I'm not blaming refs but refs can make bad calls and yeah. I don't think we all just saw the Super Bowl right and and some days it just doesn't click yeah where it does it, you're like I, I did everything right why isn't it clicking and so then we look at that as a failure when if you're better than you were last week you've actually accomplished quite a bit right you've you've expanded the idea of like human resiliency right Object resiliency is when like a baseball or a golf ball gets struck. Have you ever seen those images like when they do like the frame by frame second, mm-hmm. the ball compresses and then it returns to its form. Mm-hmm. Like human resiliency is 
some stress gets imparted upon you and then you grow back bigger and stronger than you were previously, which is uh, most athletes experience this through tough competitive practices and the stresses of games, right? They learn like a freshman doesn't handle, you know, that tied, no time left on the clock, staying at the free throw line. Usually that's, and some freshmen have the capability, but fifth year seniors who've been in that position, who've been under stress, who've played on national television, who've been through tough competitive practices, who've had to try out for their position for the last four years, like they learn how to deal with that. They learn how to perceive that stress and come over it. So uh, that's a big piece of accomplishment that we overlook is, did you make yourself better than you were the week before, the month before, the year before? And if you did, we need to chalk that up as a win, but we don't because we're only, we're only, we only care about W's and L's and if you've made money, right? Yeah. That's the only thing. Yeah. So going back to that character model, um, outside of PERMA, uh, another component on the outside of this feedback loop is character strengths and, uh, character strengths, uh, are super important for individuals to know. And it's actually important. We'll get into this a little later for a supervisor to know the strengths of and weaknesses of the followers, because that's how you also motivate and set up appropriate environments. But character strengths are uh, talents and motivations um, that manifest in the way you think, feel, and behave. So talents are dynamic and unique to individuals. Um, and uh, there's no single talent that's better than another talent. What's special is that you understand how to utilize your talents, right? What makes you successful is knowing what your motivations are and then living inside of that realm. Like the most successful people in the world uh, don't, don't necessarily uh, try to improve their weaknesses. They're aware of what their weaknesses are. But the most successful people know what their strengths are and they operate inside of that realm. And, uh, Actually, and you've done this, but there's a, there's a couple of strength finders out there that you can take, uh, Gallup being one of them, and then there's another one that's called uh, VIA, which is Values in Action. Values in Action is, I think, free, but Gallup, you pay a one-time fee for the assessment, and it gives you, uh, you can choose between, like, I think a 5 or a 10, right? Uh, or I'll 5 put, or 34. I'll put the link in there. Um, it's 20 bucks. Last time we did it, it was 20 bucks for your top five. Um, and then it was $50 for your full 34 strength right. assessment. Um, and on that, and I've never asked you this, which I just thought about, what is the difference? Because I know we went through a phase in our organization where we were doing um, colors, where we were trying to figure out the different so I never did the the colors test. It's a personality sure. deal. Um, and, and that's probably not a bad thing to realize either. The, the reason I like Gallup, I mean, I think it's more of like a person. I think the colors thing is more person, of a personality uh, type, yeah. right? Like yeah. you're assertive or you're, you know, empathetic. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, and I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not real sure. Yeah. I never took it. Just, it. It's, it's super vague. And there was only, I mean, there's only four, I believe. Yeah. It's been a while since yeah. I took it. Um, and there's people that I say, oh, like, oh, don't put the blues with the golds and don't put the rather than the gallop where you are assessing someone's strengths as right. a person. Because because what the cool thing about gallop, like I said, I, I did the $50 one, 
I don't know what the $20 option offers, but the $50 one. That's that, actually, and I'll pull it up on the screen so you all can see it. Um, and this is uh, mine and Tony's side-by-side, uh, side, but go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So the cool thing is it'll show you, like, it'll show you all of them, right? And I felt bad because I think, like, empathy was, like, my last one. <laughs> and my poor wife, she's got to <laughs> live with me. But uh, uh, it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but then you see like, um, and, and I, even I said that I was like, yeah, right, you know. And uh, my wife was like, well, it's true. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I I can tell when you're upset or you're happy. She's like, yeah, but you just don't care. And I'm like, well, that's not necessarily true. Like, I care when. I wonder if that's that numbing that they talk about that comes from the job. Because mine's 27, which isn't all that much better. Right. So, I, I mean, like, I think, like, it, and it's not necessarily, I'm not going to improve it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm aware of, you know, what people need from me, especially, right? It's like empathy. So, I just, it just doesn't rank high, I guess, in at, at all mm -hmm. <laughs> compared to all. There's 33 things that I find more important than... <laughs> <laughs> then carry then carry uh but like the cool thing about this gallup study is that you take it and uh it gives you ways to maximize your strengths right so like uh achiever for me one of the things that it told me to start doing was like making a to-do list every day and then crossing things off and as silly as that sounds that brings me so much satisfaction that's where the notepad comes from. Yeah, I have a little notepad. I walk. I have a whiteboards in my house. I mean, like, uh, it brings me. A, I I thought the notepad came from the CTE and the lack of memory from all the head hits, but I think it's really the happiness that I get from yeah. crossing stuff off. So, and I recognizing that, and <clears throat> when you brought this to my attention, I, had, it was so ridiculous. I had turned in an assignment and. I just remember feeling at the beginning of the semester, it was this long 60 reference, 30 page, and it was like, it, it was intimidating. But when I hit enter and I submitted it, I skipped for the next 10 minutes. I was so happy. I was like, that's so weird. And yeah. then about two months goes by and we're having a conversation. I'm like, hey, dude, I think I'm, I don't have my associates. And you're like, you're ridiculous. Like, yeah. you're going to you're going to have your doctorate and you're worried about your associates. And I'm like, I, I don't know if it's because I skipped a box and that box isn't checked, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm seriously <laughs> going to go to CSN. And I'm probably going to get my associates because I want that feeling of, and it lasts. I don't know chemically like dopamine and all that other crap that makes you happy. Yeah. But that feeling of just like, I, I did it. So, and, and it turns out that achievers, my number two and your number one. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing I'm I'm super interested with this strength study. We've talked about this. We're trying to figure out how to write a grant right now because I'm interested in uh, we both fall inside of that like execution, executor uh, realm, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What do they call it? What do they call it? The uh, uh, yeah, executing. Uh, whatever it is. Theme. Theme, the executing yeah. theme. So I'm interested to see if uh, if there's a difference in like people's positions, like are our chiefs, do they have like strategic maybe, and, and I don't know how long-term this is. I mean, like obviously over time, uh, interests change. I don't know. I mean, I still think your strengths remain fairly the same, 
because they're what makes you happy. I mean, there could be some things that you learn later in life, but I can't imagine that you have a drastic shift from like relationship building to uh, strategic thinking. Yeah. Over a course, you might you might have one or two creep up, but I think for the most part, your strengths are your strengths. And we had talked about this in the recruitment episode where <clears throat> if we're going to start eliminating certifications, which is fine. I, I, I get it. There's barriers to whether it's financial, time, whatever it is. There's tools like this specifically that we're not saying, hey, implement this and only hire achievers. No, it is if you started this at any organization, if you start it, I have a high feeling that within three or four years, once you see people falling out of your academies and you're you're having individuals fall into disciplinary hearings a lot more often and you would be able to easily paint a trend to say hey you know what people that that are that are really short in the influencing theme have a hard time in the fire service but if we start to eliminate certifications and lower the standard without replacing that with some sort of evaluation then then it's then it's a crapshoot well that's one of the cool things that this company does is, uh, and we're actually, I think we got a meeting in a few weeks um, with our administration and a rep- Southwest representative from Gallup because they can come in and do an audit, right? And start to collect data and find out like key themes that are important and put together. And obviously they, 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 caution like, Hey, we are in no way responsible for your hiring practices, blah, blah, blah. But no fortune 500 company makes a hire of a high level executive without going through them. Right. Like they, they joke around that like uh, Disney calls it Disney magic, but it's really Gallup know-how that gets the right people <laughs> in the right spots. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, and then I think they, I think Gallup was the ones responsible. They, they do a, a character strength test, I think for special ops and, uh, with like a 99% accuracy based off of a certain kind of theme that you have, they can guarantee, they can, uh, they can predict whether or not you'll be successful in your end doctor buds or your yeah. basic school, whatever, whatever you're jumping off into. So if anybody's watching this, I will put the link for this. And if you don't mind, uh, you can keep your results to yourself and, and be selfish. But if you would like to send, <laughs> uh, cause we've been, we've been asking, uh, we took it, we've had a couple others take it. But the more individuals in the fire service that we can take this assessment and we can start to, until we get this grant situated, um, we can really start to evaluate our, our character strengths as as a whole. Yeah. Uh, so going back the uh, to that model, um, you before let's see here. Let me go back. Let me go back. Yeah, we'll go back to that model. So we're back at the servant leadership model. So having all that, the positive emotions, engagement, relationships, meaning accomplishment, and knowing your character strengths, uh, that then sets you up for well-being, right? Which is a piece of like constant reflection. Um, it's actively seeking constructive criticism, right? And it's a continuous process of self-improvement. So as a, as a leader, you you have to be working on yourself, right? You're not... Because you've 
become a leader doesn't mean that you're absolved of continuous improvement. Like, uh, I feel like I'm changing stuff all the time. Like, not like drastically, but I'm making adjustments to the way I uh, handle situations, to the way I deal with certain people. You know what I mean? Like, you have to constantly be looking at, and then there's things about myself that I'm trying to change or improve on all the time. So it's not, it's not done like the old saying, like you can't pour a shot from an empty bottle, right? If you don't have positive emotions or any engagement or relationship or meaning or any sense of accomplishment, and you don't know what your strengths and weaknesses are, how are you going to instill those things in other people? I, the first thing that comes to mind is, is your trust. If you're spending the majority of your time running around correcting everyone else and not being able to engage with your personnel and give them the tools and resources to succeed and you're perfect and they're always all wrong, I'm assuming that that trust and that environment could be toxic. So we'll, we'll jump on trust right now. We're going to do it a little later. We can do it right now. Okay. Let's, so, let's. so what's fun about trust is uh, trust uh, and vulnerability go side by side, right? Uh, it's the ultimate need satisfier. So like you were saying, like if you don't trust, if you don't have faith in your supervisor, you're not going to open up to them. You're not going to risk and try new things and grow and develop, right? And and anytime they tell you to do something, you're going to like shrug and roll your eyes and be like, this guy, right? Or this girl, you know what I mean? Yep. Because like nothing's more frustrating than, and I'm sure you've gotten these phone calls. I get I get phone calls sometimes from captains who are like, hey, my my new guy can't do anything. And you're like, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, and it's like, I mean, to me, like the the day that I can't do a skill is the day that I become a chief. No, <laughs> <laughs> the day I can't do a skill is the day that I I'm like going to have a hard sit down and evaluate whether or not I need to be in this position or not. Yeah. Right. Like I I will I I'll be able to have a maybe I won't have the work capacity I had when I'm 50 like when I did when I was 30. But I'll be able to do, I'll be able to work with my crew. You know what I'm saying? So I I have a, a probably elementary question. Is, is trust initially given and then taken away or broken? Or is it gained over time? Because there, there's one particular moment in my career that it clicked. Like, like it was a light switch and it was... Um, my first captain, Captain Espy, love you. Um, captain Espinosa brought me into the office. I had just bid to the crew, and um, it was so simple. He just said, "If I, I get, we have SOPs and we have things that we are do daily." And I'm paraphrasing, but if you're ever in a situation that you feel like you have to do something out of the norm or out of the realm of what is in our daily activities. All you have to do is just imagine me explaining it to my boss and make that decision. And he, I was six months on the floor. Yeah. And there was that instant trust of like, hey, you can do whatever you feel fit. But as soon as you think of me having to explain it to the battalion chief, that should somewhat guide your action. And then 
it was not there shortly after uh, myself and my partner came across uh, it was a um, autistic deaf guy that was he didn't need to go to the hospital and he was uh, they, nobody called it in we had ran across him it was 115 out and he just was trying to get home we're like god can we can we put this dude in the in the rescue and just take him home that is not a lot. Like, we can't do that. But we did it. Yeah. Because it was the right thing to do. For sure. And and it was because I knew that if my captain trusted me to make the right decision as a, as a person, then I could make that decision and he trusted me. So is that something where it's handed to you? Trust is like, hey, I trust you now. Don't mess this up. Or we're going to start small and, and grow. So it's, it's, it's pieces. It's both, really. Okay. So like... uh the easiest way to build trust is through vulnerability, right? So like stress, uh, people like, that's why you formed a bond with your teammates and that's why you formed a bond with people in your academy, right? And that's why firefighters everywhere share a bond is because uh, stress forces us to be vulnerable together, right? And uh, vulnerability inherently builds uh, trust, closeness, cooperation, cohesion um but we're not often willing to do that right like so if you see me at my weakest moment but then you see me succeed you're gonna believe you're gonna you're gonna initially give me trust right you're gonna you're gonna be like that he can do it right and then vice versa because now we're gonna get into this a little later but it's it's relatability right i know that and we're teaching an academy right now you remember what day one of the academy was right mm. And you knew that you physically could do it. You knew that physically, because you'd been doing it for how long, right? Yeah. So like, this wasn't brand new to you, but you're still nervous, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. You're still like, there's still that anxiety that sets in. And you're like, man, I got to, now I've got to perform. Mm -hmm. uh, but you bond with everybody and you see everybody is a human being and that everybody's flawed. Everybody spends a day in the pickle jar, right? That's mm -hmm. it's the station five motto, yeah. right? Everybody, oh, yeah. everybody spends a day in the pickle jar, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody gets through this. <laughs> nobody, Especially at that place. Nobody gets through this, right? Like mm -hmm. everybody, everybody's going to have a bad day, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the fact that you know that makes, it, makes you a human being and people are like, oh, and, and that, that's how you, you gain trust, right? Um, another piece of uh, trust is authenticity, right? The reason... Uh, SB is super respected is because he's authentic, right? When you try to be something you're not, people can smell that. And that goes back to that captain that's complaining about uh, their probationary firefighter not being able to do a lot of work. And you're like, okay. I mean, like, do you think you could go out there and do the same amount of work? Because if you can't, then you're asking them to do something that you can't do. Right? That's why I feel like the captain should be able, or the leader should be able to, successfully complete all the tasks of the followers because now you're how are you going to how are you supposed to develop a skill set if you cannot right yeah. how are you going to ask them i mean like like and the frustrating thing about becoming a captain is not doing the work yeah. right like i miss that i miss that immensely i miss not having a nozzle or a saw in my hand yeah. uh like i said they've They've not taken door forcing away from me yet. 
but like, <laughs> well, that and I mean, not to we're not going to make this an SB episode, but <laughs> <laughs> um, and when you talked about vulnerability, we would do hot washes at the kitchen table, and uh, you'd always start with, "This is what I saw, and this is how I could have done better." Before we did anything else, before there was any criticism towards anyone else or what were you think, it was this is what happened, and let me be the first to tell you where I could have. Or what I what I thought we could have done better, or, you know, my my from internally. So it was vulnerability for sure. Which is I'm just now connecting those dots. That's right. And makes then, sense. And and so I, I used to I used to ask this on a when I would precept medics, and I usually would wait till we had the the obese female diabetic, middle like maybe thirty year old, uh, who had abdominal pain. Okay. And then I'd ask, you know, what, what do you think that was? And the medic student would always be like, well, it could be this and this and this. They give me all these differential diagnoses. I'm like, well, what was it? And they were like, well, it's this. And I'm like, uh, I have no idea what they have, right? Like female, overweight, diabetic, it could be anything. It could be pregnancy. It could be referred pain from someplace else. It could be uh, a gastroparesis. I mean, it could be anything. Right. And I said, all nobody knows. Like I, I know even like most calls that we run on as a paramedic, maybe there's 80% that I have no idea really what's going on. All I know is that I can do these tests, right? And I can report my findings from these tests and any changes from an intervention. Right. So like the fact that we are trying to diagnose like doctors is silly. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can as as soon as you realize like, oh, they're having abdominal pain, I'm gonna go down this abdominal protocol list and that's what I'm going to focus my efforts until something else pops up but it's not up to me to determine what their illness is like Mm -hmm. all I really care about is can I positively affect change if their status is deteriorating right which coming from a vulnerability vulnerability standpoint is wow like you're my preceptor and you're saying I don't I don't know no idea is instantly got to make them go Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. thank God because yeah. I really didn't know. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, or they're like this dummy, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> uh, but that's so like the we kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but the trust and vulnerability part. Um, let's see, I get the little clicker here. All right, so and that's part of the leader's well-being, right? So now we we're gonna get into uh, the leader's needs and their satisfaction, which that, that comes down to uh, Ryan and Desi's self-determination theory, which is that the key driver in internal motivation is autonomy, uh, having decision-making capabilities, um, and that your actions and decisions are of your own choosing, belongingness or relatedness, which is the perception that one is cared for and it has the ability to care for others and is relatable to a supervisor and competency, which is the perception that one's skills and abilities are able to, and skilled and able to implement uh, those uh, skills whenever. Um, so in an environment where those are met, uh, one's going to perceive the ability to exert a higher level of control while experiencing uh, growth and well-being. So it's it comes down to like the ABCs of need satisfaction is autonomy, belongingness, and competency. So when those three things are intact, you have high internal drive, 
right? And the reason that this happens is, um, sorry, I just went through the. I we got to talk about that because one of those is completely absent in our world. Which one? Autonomy. Yeah. And that's, that's the tricky thing is autonomy. It feels like, uh, and here's, so here's kind of how I, uh, I phrase it to like recruits, right? Because think about like the recruits world. They have no say at what time they show up. They have no say what the uniform looks like. They have no say of how they address, you know, RTOs. They have no say over what they do with the course of the day. They have no say over how they're going to implement a skill, right? So then you have to find where you do have the ability to make choices. Like, and it, at first it sounds silly, but really like, you know, the, the 10 things that take no talent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like I don't remember all of them, but yeah. like being yeah. on time, hundred yeah. percent your choice. You can choose when to wake up. You can choose how you set your routine. You can choose uh, what you bring to eat. You can choose your attitude, right? You can choose how much time you're going to dedicate to your craft, right? So like you have to find areas that you do have because we don't have a choice of a lot of things inherently and it feels like they're removing more as time goes on. I feel like we don't have, uh, what do we have a choice? Not to be negative, but I mean. So like we have a choice of in-house training, right? We've got a choice of and as a supervisor, I got a choice of like, hey, I'm going to, are you tired? Because I'm going to take you out of service to sleep, right? And then I can suffer the consequences that come down the line thereafter. But I have the choice to be like, hey, do you, you need time, right? So there's little things like that during the day. We can choose what we eat. We can choose how we work out. We can choose how we train, right? We can choose our attitudes. We can choose to hang out together and have fun, like the kitchen tables, like the therapist couch, right? Like we can so, sit around all day and choose that, or we can choose to go sit in our rooms in isolation. We can choose not to work out. We can choose to eat Uncrustables and Gushers. I like you, those. You know what I mean? So, so the so the negative impact comes from focusing on the things we can't control. hundred percent. And I I get it. And, and I was never a medic, but it, it seems where probably in the fire service, especially with transporting being a huge thing, being trained to a nationally registered level and then having zero decision-making capability when someone, I mean, we all know the story, the wristbands on the scripts are in hand. I want to go. And that backbreaking Charlie sick person at 3am at the tail end of the 48, it, that your autonomy is gone. Yeah. And that is the trick in, and I don't know the answer to that because you're, you're operating at a level and you hear it all the time and I don't see, I don't see any of it. I've never been on any of the review committees where you're like, wow, you guys would not believe what this person, uh, documented or how they not educate or how they not take this person. So they're, they're seeing the worst of the worst and making everyone operate at that level rather than providing autonomy to those and then handling them independently. So what administration's going going to have to do is figure out how to and it sounds like we're trying to push towards it is how to give decision making. I think they call it like a shared shared, yes. shared decision making mm-hmm. back to the paramedics and and to everybody, right? 
because like uh i'm sure you've heard like medics uh pretty much universally throughout the country and it's no we're not exclusive again it's everybody are uh are it's a shortage like nobody wants this job like we've had medics write reports in emojis you know what i mean <laughs> okay that's how fed up they were and you're like i mean that we laugh about it but like that's a that's a huge issue right yeah. it's somebody writes a that's like modern day hieroglyphics you're writing a, you're writing a report he was sad <laughs> it was this guy like broken heart girl <laughs> bottle of alcohol hospital uh, submit right yeah. like you know what i mean like you can't do that so uh i think uh, and that's something they're gonna have to do uh and because you can't have two of three to have internal motivation like you, you need want, all three you need all three and you want if you want ownership you want because nobody's going to defend a position like they're going to defend their own position right so if you want people to have buy-in and create this like uh, environment where um, people live, breathe, eat, sleep, your fire department, bring them in on the decision-making process, right? We talked about that with Chief Horton about how, uh, um, like, I forget what, I, I should have looked it up. I've had time, but like the companies that uh, send out a quarterly um, survey to the frontline workers, the CEOs want to know the opinions of operations and solutions that potentially could come from the people who deal with the problems, right? Uh, that voice is lost in the fire service. I'm sure police and military are the same, right? They, the decisions of operations for the people experiencing the problem are like four steps removed at least. Yeah. That's where the decision's coming from. It's not coming. And, and honestly, there's a, there's, a, there's a give or take, right? Like, but you also have to have the humility to ask. Oh yeah. And if you don't care, then now you don't have the buy-in. There's no ownership. And if anything, your individuals are going to press the brakes more than hit the gas. Not they're not just going to go into neutral, they're going to fight. They're going to write in a report in emojis and submit it, right? Yeah. Like that's what happens when people feel like they don't uh they they're not autonomous. Um when they don't belongingness is a big piece too. Like when you don't feel like your administration cares for you, like why would you, why would you go, why would you do anything extra? Like you're not going to volunteer. You're not going to work on special committees. You're not going to be a good steward, right? Like uh, one of the positive outcomes of the servant leadership model is organizational citizenship and behavior, right? Like that's you um, being a steward for this job, uh, fostering, um, positive emotions in your firehouse, mentoring future firefighters, right? Yeah. Participating in extra work that makes this place better. People aren't going to do that. Yeah. And, right? it, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be administration because when you say those things, first thing that comes to mind for me is two or three of our busiest stations. I mean, you go one, one, 10 and four, that they, they do their work. They keep yeah. their head down and, yep. They, they're the ones that do the events together. They do the bar crawls. They go on vacation. They go to the sand dunes. Christmas they go to the pictures. lake. Christmas pictures. Yeah. They, they, and it's funny because that shouldn't be, they should be exhausted, right? Mm -hmm. They got great leadership at those houses, right? Uh, they have a sense of pride with with being busy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they, and that's, 
that's how they bond and it's it's pretty cool you know so um so when after the leadership and and the the leader's needs and the and the followers needs are pretty much the same like everybody needs to have that autonomy belongingness competency right but where servicely where servant leadership happens is um through a couple different avenues like first off it's done through the respectfully engaging others right um there comes a point like at that kitchen table where maybe the the leadership uh gets a little loosened right and you can actually start you know shooting i don't know how to say that yep not appropriately yeah mm-hmm. with everybody yeah and be be one of the crew right but then obviously on scene like i'm i'm not going to yell unless I have to, like because the engines are screaming or chainsaws going, but I'm going to treat everybody the same way I want to be treated for the most part, right? That's kind of the golden rule with leadership. Uh, but the most important part of it is task enabling your people, right? So now you've give them, do not micromanage. Micromanagement is uh, what incompetent people do, okay? If you're a micromanager, you're bad at your job. Because you're not willing to trust somebody else because you probably were never trusted to handle something by yourself. You probably had a boss beating over you all the time. Like, all right, no, now here. Like, how, as, as an engineer, how terrible is it to have a captain tell you everything, right? It's awful. Yeah. I, I felt it as a medic. Like, when a captain would interrupt an assessment and treatment plan yeah. and you'd be like, would you like this? Yeah. I mean, you, Just here. let me, let me earn, let me earn it. Like yeah. if I go the wrong oh. way on a, uh, once, don't, I'm not even yeah. saying twice. If mm-hmm. I make a wrong turn or don't block something, if I earn that, yeah, by all means, a hundred percent. I could, I, and I think as an athlete, you seek that, right? Mm-hmm. That's the piece that's going to make me better in the future. Like, I don't mind you. T- if I mess up, uh, like my first fire, uh, I had as a captain, I, uh, we got, a, it was racing. I was at four. We were racing station one, which has, I don't know, it seemed like a thousand units screaming down the street <laughs> at you. And we beat him by like 10 seconds. And I, I checked the Delta side. I gave a BIR on side alpha. I ran to the Delta side, looked at it, ran back to the Bravo side, looked at it, forgot what I saw on the Delta side. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Chief was like, have you made any assignments yet? I'm like, nope. He's like, okay, I'll take it from out here. I'm like, I'm still thinking. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so anyway, and, and that, that leads back into like the final component of servant, or servant leadership again is uh, trust and vulnerability. Like that's where it happens, right? Your people are going to have to trust. They have to trust that you're going to take essentially, <coughs> excuse me, um, any ideas or um, anything that they want to try and make it special. And what that means is like, uh, if somebody comes at you with an idea, um, and we talked about this with Chief Horton too, actually, uh, was um, I'm going to share with you what is special to me, right? And then depending on how you act with that is gonna be whether or not you're trusted. So if, if, you, if you say like, hey, I've got an idea to do this. And I say, I look at my collar brass and I'm like, well, I don't have to listen to you because I'm a captain, right? Or I'm a chief, whatever. You have completely broken trust, right? That person's never going to share anything with you again. They're not going to take risks. They're not going to grow. 
anybody who witnessed that is going to be turned off by your actions. You're going to lose trust with everybody in that room. And then everybody that they tell, like the fire service is a rumor mill, right? There's always some truth to some rumors, right? Even if they get ridiculous, it's like children playing telephone. Mm -hmm. There's still probably a piece of the original message inside there, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I hope that if you hear a rumor, you go to the source, right? You yeah. just don't spread it and make it worse. But like, regardless, like you violate somebody's trust uh, and that gets out, nobody's going to share with you. Nobody's going to open up and be like, hey, I have this idea or I'd like to try this because you just made it stupid. So you took what was special to somebody else and uh, and turned it into and turned it into nothing. Yeah, They're not going to trust you. And <clears throat> those individuals that have that passion or that special project or that thing everyone like every everybody knows that we that to the point now where it's, <laughs> they see you and they go what's new what's going on yeah. and so you're and there's those for each category there's certain medics that are heavily involved with the health district stuff and you know what's coming down the pipe and special events and hazmat people and tr so everyone has those motivated individuals that have that thing, whether or not they're intentionally <coughs> going, Hey, you guys, I, I can't believe the chief basically just told me pound sand or, mm -hmm. you know, the battalion chief is upset with the bow. They're not, they don't have to do that. People are going to come to them and go, Hey man, what do you think? Like what's going And you talk to them and they go, Oh, like the conversation you said you had with someone and you're like, wow, blew my mind. Crazy. Yeah. Where does it go? Like what ha what happened? And then you tell them what happens, and you're like, like, well, that that's unfortunate. What can I do to help? Is there anything we can do yeah. from from our end, or you know what? I'm gonna tell the guys about that, and and be able to spread that type of information. I mean, even if you say to somebody, like somebody comes at you with like an idea, and let's just say that there's no way, right? Like they want to get a helicopter for the department. Mm -hmm. Like I would never crush that. I would say like, why don't like that's a that's a shot, right? Yeah, like, let's start with the drone. No, yeah, that's, whatever, <laughs> whatever. I'm like, hey, I'm not gonna crush it because if somebody's like, we should get a helicopter. I'm like, well, why don't you gather as much data as you can gather on it? Do a cost benefit. Like if we were gonna take over like helicopter operations for the Southern Nevada, like how many activations would we get per day? What would each activation cost? What would like I'd say start a project, right? Put you because that's obviously something that's exciting them. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't excite them, it'll fizzle out and it'll die. But you still facilitated their idea and you, and you recognize it as special and you gave it the potential to come through, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't just sit there and go, no, that'll never work here. No, we can't afford to do that. No. You know what I mean? Like the culture of no, you're going to get two people. You're going to get somebody who's withdrawn and doesn't care, or you're going to get somebody who's defiant and will challenge you at every step, right? Yeah. So like somebody comes to you with something special to them, even if it's even if it's like outlet out there, like it's it'd be it'd be a hard stretch to justify helicopter operations for us. But so let's, let them let them let them fight for it. Let's tie this back into last episode. When you're looking into your stakeholders and you're building your coalition, it's up to you to build your coalition. Oh yeah. And during that is when you're going to go to these people and say chief, city manager, union president, whoever it is, I see an opportunity here. 
and I think I can do something about it and this is why, then that person will give you their fears, hurdles, concerns, and it's up to you to be able to fight that battle. Don't be the person that goes, no, 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 you just don't understand. Go, no, 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 let me explain this to you. This is why. And there's a difference when somebody comes to you with an idea, right? I mean, like if they're like, we should do this operationally, and then you say why and they have nothing, mm-hmm. right? Versus that might not be special to them. That might just be an idea they had, mm-hmm. but something special to them like, hey, we should get Hilo Ops and this is why, right? Yep. And then you're like, okay, well, let's do it. Like build this out. Mm-hmm. Use these 10 step process that some famous doctor made, <laughs> right? <laughs> just build it out and we'll, we'll take it as high as we can go. And then when that person doesn't want to listen to us, uh, we'll go, we, we don't have to stop. I mean, there's people that make decisions all over this city, right? Yeah. Like, let's present it to some, let's, let's take ownership of this. If you're proud of this, cause like I said, nobody's going to defend something uh, more than if, if it came from them. So that makes more sense when you talk about being a servant leader. Yes. Then, then that concept of serving right. someone is okay. What, what do you need from me? That's, that's all it is. Cause like I said in one episode, like you're not the hero anymore, right? Your job now is to facilitate like growth and well-being in the people around you, because then that makes your job. That's this model, right? Is if you can facilitate uh, that inside of your followers, it makes your job really easy because people are going to, if they have ownership, which they will when they're part of the decision-making process, right? And there's time and a place like, if I want them to pull a line to the Charlie side, I'm going to say, Hey, pull the line to the Charlie side. Right. But, uh, like that, that red rock call we had where it was like, I've never done this. Literally in hey. route. Hey, hey fellas. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's next. Right. And, and we got complimented on that call. Like, uh, chief and cat, the heavy rescue cap came up after and they're like, Hey, that was a really smooth call. I'm like, yeah, I didn't do anything. I just literally flexed my thumb and went for a mile hike. I let the people who knew what they were doing run that call. Like that station ran that call. And I just talked on the microphone. That's or the radio. That's all I did. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's part of, and then that's, uh, that servant leadership, like feedback loop because, the outcomes, which is the last piece, is going to be like positive attitudes and engagement and improved well-being and that OCB and all that, all those positive outcomes. And then that feeds into the servant leader because that motivates you because you're watching. It's like it's like raising kids. Like when your kids accomplish stuff, you inherently get proud, right? Like I haven't had like that super exciting sports moment yet. I think my oldest kid's 10. But like I watched her in a shootout game on the line from I forget what they did it they did it like at midfield when I don't know, a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and she didn't let the stress get to her and she hit it and you're like oh that's a really proud athletic moment right now mm-hmm. like uh if they would have <clears throat> lost that game I would have still been like and cry but oh. it's like a like oh <laughs> right <laughs> uh actually but you watch that development you watch that watch her handle that stress Mm-hmm. And uh, she focused and did what she had to do. And you're like, wow. And so like that motivates you to 
keep taking her to soccer practice, even though it's a pain in your butt. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing in leadership. Like, wow, I've watched this person who we taught their Academy. Uh, we're doing that right now. Watching people who's we taught an Academy and now they're recruit training officers and they're killing it. Right. Yeah. And you're like, wow, look at the growth and development that's occurred inside these people. Yeah. And then the, hopefully the, like the autonomy and, relatedness and competency that they received in that environment, they want to translate into an environment when they become a leader. And then you have this like continuous servant leadership loop, mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, I think that's gets through the whole thing. Oh, so, so <clears throat> Joe, if you're listening to this, you requested a longer episode, so here you go. We're at an hour, and we're probably going to chug along to about hour 30, hour 45 there you go. here. There you go. <laughs> it's for retired um, Joe Andrevani. Uh, keep hitting this button. All right, so uh, we've got probably the most important piece of actual leadership um, is based off of what's called the five-step modeling process, right? And this this goes back to... This is also another way to instill trust because uh, it's the first step is I do, you watch, right? I'm going to demonstrate the behavior or skill I want you to emulate, right? And then <clears throat> the next part is I do, you help, we chat, right? This is, you know, crawl, walk, run. I'm going to do the skill again. You're going to be a piece of, be a part of whatever this skill is. And we're going to talk about it afterward, right? The next part is you do, I help, we chat. So now it's your turn to lash the hose load, pick up the saw, right? I'll be there with you. We're going to go through this evolution and then we're going to have a talk afterward. Um, finally, it's, I, or the next step is I do, you do, I watch, we chat. Now I'm hands off. All I'm doing is observing, right? And the magic happens when you do, someone else watches, they chat, right? So now what's happening is that person is taking over that leadership role. That's task enabling them. So you started with them with no skill set or maybe a, they needed help emulating a better behavior. And slowly over time through uh, this reflection process, which is the chat, the chat after is the most important part because that's you talking and then making them think about the action, right? All the way, all the way up to where now they're essentially the instructor and they're the ones uh, pushing off into or pushing behaviors and skills onto somebody else. Uh, and that's part of the servant leadership loop, right? And then after you've done your loop with somebody, they bring somebody into their loop and it's this continue, like I said, it's a contagious, continuous cycle. Those, that's our, I mean, I don't know if you did that intentionally. That's our academy to a T. 100%. We did that last week. And then now you, now you're going to pull the cross leg and we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to tell me when you're ready for your attempt to get your attempts. Then we're going to talk about it. And then you're going to do it in front of HR when they come down here and I won't be around. Yep. That is identical yeah and then hopefully you become so good at doing cross lays that once you're off probation you're gonna get a probationary firefighter and you're gonna be responsible for that and then that's how it's gonna go and then when they get off probation 
right? Like that's the modeling process, mm-hmm. right? Um, so as far as like uh, transparency from leadership, I thought I found these numbers, and this is actually pretty interesting. Uh, so Stephen Covey wrote The Eighth Habit. Uh, he polled employees about their companies, right? Um, only 37% said they had a clear understanding of what their organization is trying to achieve and why. Only one in five was enthusiastic about their teams and organization's goals. Only one in five said they had a clear line of sight between their tasks and their teams and organization's goals. Only 15% felt that their organization fully enabled them to execute key goals. And only 20% fully trusted their organizations uh, that they work for. Okay. So the neat thing about this, and this is a, this is part of like making ideas stick, right? Is you got to add some sort of component that you could, that'll help you internalize those numbers, right? So these stats versus a soccer team's perspective, okay? Only four of the 11 players on the field would know which goal is theirs. Only two of the 11 would care. Only two. <laughs> Only two of the 11 would know what position they played and what exactly they were supposed to do. And all but two players would, in some way, be competing against their own team members rather than the opponent. Wow. So you want to talk about where where organizations fail, right? They fail communicating, like, uh, goals and mission statements, right? Like, we have some mission statement, right? We have ideas. We don't know why we do some of the things we do. Right. And there's that communication gap because I think a piece of it is, I think a piece of it is people don't want to have seem vulnerable. Right. Because there could be stuff that we're doing that we have no idea why we're doing it. And we don't want to address it. Clearly, if only four of 11 know which goal is theirs. What bothers (laughs) me the most is two of 11 would care. Right. Like you think that. Would care. But I mean, like, we're in a different spot too. I mean, we, our mission's a little bit. Our, our overall mission's a little bit easier to get behind. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, we have, it's easy to find meaning in our work. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's harder for somebody that I have no idea does some computer stuff, yeah. you know, or like uh, to find true meaning. Like even like delivery, like Amazon and UPS, they know they're bringing happiness to people. Yeah. And, and our, I mean, there's so many variables as far as like our ego and just the type A personalities and, People feeling like they're 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 better and come, crews are better and platoons are better. It's just this <laughs> we're our own worst enemy. But to to not really know, I've I've kind of always not liked the what you say in your interview perspective. That doesn't mean that I can't ask questions or seek for understanding. Sure. And I think that we lean on that too heavy as it just a culture is like, right. remember what you said you when said you, you sat do there. Anything. Yeah. You, whatever it takes, you do whatever it takes. And that, that doesn't mean that I can't ask questions. No, not, not a hundred percent because that, that transparency obviously floods corporate America. I'm sure you didn't ask fire departments, but I'm sure you ask a ton of corporate America, these questions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people want, I think the other part is like some people avoid tough conversations and I like we just we just spoke to last episode to, uh, spoke to 
Dr. McPretty face, mm-hmm. Battalion Chief Corey Whitlock. Yeah. And uh, he was the king of having tough conversations. The he was word great ninja. at it. Yeah. Great at it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. great at having tough conversations with people. Uh, and I think people want to avoid that because they're uncomfortable, right? And you might have to champion an unpopular decision. But an unpopular decision, if explained appropriately, people will understand, right? Yeah. Um I just think, and, and there's things that we, we won't understand and there's things that they're not going to explain, but that's, that's where this gap comes in. I thought these numbers were pretty, yeah, pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, but that's it. That's the foundation for, you know, positive leadership and positive through positive psychology. Cool. That's it. That's a really cool note to end on. I will, uh, let's go, let's, let's do our, uh, let's do our snippet. All right. How you think and how you act can transform your experience of stress. When you choose to view your stress response as helpful, you create the biology of courage. And when you choose to connect with others under stress, you can create resilience. I wouldn't necessarily ask for more stressful experiences in my life, but this science has given me a whole new appreciation for stress. So, uh, if you, everybody listening, if you've got like 20 minutes, that's Kelly, Dr. Kelly McGongle, I think her name is. Uh, she's got a TED talk, and uh, I think it was up there. It was like how to make stress your friend or something. Oh, I don't yeah, remember, I, whatever I it was. It whatever it was. Head. It is worth your 20 minutes. Cause that's like one of those punches in the face. It is. Uh, what she's talking about is changing your perspective on stress. So like that first day of the academy where you were, or like the first, when you played football in that first game you started in or even went to and you walked out on that field and you heard the roar of the crowd and you had like those butterflies in your stomach and your heart was pounding through your chest and you felt maybe a little nauseous and you were sweating and you're like, oh man, I hope I don't mess up, right? You're like, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, right? If you change your perspective and think, uh, this is my body prepping me to beat the adversity in front of me. Like physiologically, that changes the stress impact on your heart and on your uh, vasculature. It more mimics, instead of mimicking the, the, uh, like the vasoconstriction in the uh cardiac vasculature and the systemic vasculature, like that hypertension that you get from uh, that stress and that, that negative impact, it actually has uh, vasodilatory effects. Like that change of perspective changes your vasculature and it mimics like joy and happiness more than it does anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we all need to start doing is, especially because we have it all the time, like Tones go off two in the morning, you don't know where you are, heart's beating, you get in the rig, you're gonna be the first on a big fire. Instead of being like, oh man, right? Like, I don't, I don't even know where I'm at right now. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I got all these units coming. You just take a breath, be like, oh, my body's getting me ready, right? My heart's beating a little faster. That's not, that's not bad, it's just getting me woke up because I was beating probably 30 beats a minute, 30 seconds ago, mm-hmm. right? So we change that perspective on stress, we actually change our uh, um, the physiological effects of it on our bodies. 
she actually goes in there. She talks quite a bit. She's, she's fascinating, but she's actually studied how uh, stress makes you social too, because you release, I believe it's oxytocin when you're stressed and oxytocin is like the cuddle, but you want to be with somebody. So like when you're stressed, you'd rather be stressed with others yeah. instead of being stressed by yourself, because then you can kind of create that trust through vulnerability again. Right. Yeah. So she get she's a, that's a fascinating Ted talk. If I'll put the, I'll put the link in the, uh, in the description as well. Um, <clears throat> there's only really a couple times that I can recognize stress, 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 um, obviously testing. Sure. Um, finding out about my second kid 12 hours after we closed on the house. Mm. Uh, great timing. Mm. Um, panicked i was oh i was panic pacing i walked i never go for walks i took a walk um and there is a point that there's an ownership side of it and i and i and i never watched it i'll watch it where there is and maybe this is wrong for me thinking that whatever the circumstances are they're here whether that's a fire at 2 a.m., whether it's a kid coming unexpectedly, you can stress, whether it's minutes, seconds, days, the situation is what it is. So how do we now handle the situation? And, and it, you're, this isn't like to avoid stress. Stress is going to happen. Yep. It's how you perceive it, right? Mm-hmm. Do you, and it's, that goes back to like, is it negative or positive, right? Is this physiological reaction in my body right now? Is it a positive reaction? My body's getting me ready to go out there and beat it. Like I'm going to go come, I'm going to overcome this adversity mm-hmm. or am I going to fall into the mindset of, Oh man, like I'm so nervous. I'm anxious. I, I shouldn't be doing this. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the change in perspective that we need to have is like, cause you're going to have it. You're, you're, you're going to have something go off and your heart's going to beat fast and you get a little sweaty and you're going to have those butterflies, nausea in your stomach, whatever it is. Yeah. And you're going to have to be like, oh, that's me getting that's me getting ready to win. Which, Or I'm getting ready to lose. And that, that other clip that I had sent you, that Eastern uh, theory, kind of fits right into this. That uh, about the kid, the, the yeah. farmer. Oh, yeah. And he, uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, he, he has a kid um, and a farm and some horse. The horse runs away and everybody comes to him and goes, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it's such bad news. And he's like, I don't, maybe, I don't know, maybe. And then the next day the horse comes back with three other horses. Mm. And then he's like, oh my goodness, the whole village is happy. And, oh, you got three horses now. That's such good news. And he's like, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) And then the kid, his son tries to ride one of the new horses, breaks his back. And they're like, oh my God, we're so sorry to hear about your, your son. That's such bad news. And he's like, well, we'll see. Next day, Chinese consulate shows up. We're taking all able-bodied boys to go to war. And they're like, thank God your boy's back is broken. And he's like, well, yeah. maybe. And it, it just it keeps it going. And yeah. it's just that perspective of good, bad, or indifferent. The situation is what it is. And we can control our mindset on on how we perceive it and and go from there. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Alrighty, that wraps up episode seven. Yeah. Thank you guys. See ya.